It was great to worship together. Um, welcome, and we are thrilled that you're here. If, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm Jack, and one of the pastors here, and, and if you're brand new, um, as Margo said earlier, you picked a great night to be here, because uh, we're going to have a great time afterwards in a few minutes tonight. We're starting a brand new series called Changed, and we're going to dive into some things that we have for you, and you're actually getting a card right now that's coming down your row that we want to give you out, and we, we don't do this typically, but we wanted for this series to pass out just a card that you can keep and kind of collect with you. We're going to have some challenges uh, for you, uh, and if you're brand new, this just play into this. I, I think there's some things in here that God's going to do in your heart uh, if, if you'll give yourself into it. And if you've been here for a while, this is some next just challenge for us to uh, maybe memorize one scripture verse a week. And I know that's like, whoa, dude, I come to church now for homework. I know. Uh, but like, I think this is really life-giving, and we want this to be a really life-giving exercise and just a part of it, so just kind of play along with us. Uh, and I think you'll benefit coming out of the end of the six weeks of this series looking at changed. And so we're going to spend our time kind of in touch point in the book of First Peter, which is in you know, the New Testament. If you want, you can open up uh, the app and go down to sermon notes. You can open follow along with that, or you can go to your Bible in First Peter, which is kind of far to the far right of your Bible, and you can follow along there. We're in chapter one tonight. And getting at this idea of change, we're going to use 1 Peter as a touch point. We're not going to go exegetically through it, but we want to use it to kind of point to some changes, some markers, if you will, that mark the life of a person who has said yes to Jesus and who is walking and following life after Jesus. And so these, some changes are going to happen because Jesus is like, that's his masterpiece is change. That's what he does for people. He changes people. And, and there's some markers that come to your, into your life, spiritually speaking. Now, you probably have been marked in some way. Uh, we would maybe use the other word labeled in some way, maybe marked in a negative way, but also marked in a positive way. Uh, maybe you grew up and uh, you kind of learned some things from your mom or dad or you learned some things from aunts and uncles, family, and you have become really just a hard worker. People would describe you as you're just a hard worker in what you do. Anyone willing to say, yeah, that's, I've been described that way. Just kind of hard worker. I persevere through things. And maybe that's been a marker of your life. Maybe you're here and you are kind of a happy-go-lucky person. Like the ups and downs, the waves that come of life, you're just kind of eh, roll with it. And everyone's usually impressed. We're like, man, I'm super stressed and you're just rolling with this. Uh, anyone kind of labeled, kind of marked with your life, you're happy-go-lucky, right? So maybe that's kind of how you are. Maybe there's other things that have marked your life in a way that just saying, hey, uh, like if you wear athletic clothes all the time, you're probably a coach or an athlete or just a person that likes to be comfortable. I don't know. Um, if you drink more than, anyone willing to say you drink more than eight cups of coffee a day? Okay, five. Anyone more than five? Okay. Some of you were real quick because you have too much caffeine in you. But um, just like, if you do that, then like you might be labeled a, a coffee connoisseur, maybe, uh, or just an addict. Uh, one of the two. I, I don't know. Maybe uh, you're familiar with our good friend Jeff Foxworthy, who made a living with tagging people with markings of their life. You might be a redneck if, have you seen this? Do you know it's a board game? What? In a daily calendar? Here's just a few for fun. Um, you might be a redneck if you wash your car more than your hair. Okay. You might be a redneck if your wedding cake came from Sarah Lee. Just, 
Okay, you might be a redneck if you can play the Star Spangled Banner on your turkey call. Okay. Anyone here have a turkey call? Just curious. Okay. Uh, if you think NSYNC is where your dishes are and not a 90s band, you might be a redneck. If directions to your house include the phrases, turn off the paved road, you might be a redneck, according to Jeff Foxworthy. There's things that kind of mark our lives. And, and tonight, I want us to kind of begin this series, and we want to spend the next few weeks looking at this idea, what marks our life as a person who has said yes to Jesus or a person who's trying to aim their life in alignment with Jesus and following after him? There's got to be something that changes in our lives. And really, First Peter begins to get at this. What's interesting about First Peter is this is written about 35 to 37 years after the resurrection. It's written to a group of people in modern-day Turkey area, that region, and Peter's writing this letter to people who are undergoing great persecution. In fact, they have said yes to Jesus, and their life is forever changed. That's what Peter's going to talk about here. But their circumstances are actually getting worse, not better. And it's this challenge, and he's writing to them about this change that Jesus has done in their life, and that that change can actually meet them in the midst of the circumstances they're battling and the challenges that are coming their way, and he's urging them, reminding them this change that has occurred with them through faith in Jesus, and so that now they can become influencers and agents of God's change in the world around them, even when it's difficult. That there's an assignment here. There's this change that's been inside of them, but there's also this change that's now to flow through them. And that's really what he's getting at. He's urging them to remain faithful through the pressures and the difficulties and the challenges that are coming their way way back then. And I think he would say the same to a generation now that faces some different kind of challenges. We have a lot of freedoms here in our region of the world, but there's still some challenges to be a person of faith and a person who is following after Jesus. At the end, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, I, I write to you that your grace and peace may abound more and more. And he's using this language that speaks of this ever-increasing reality of God's grace and peace in your life. And what we remember coming off of Easter is that Jesus' grace was a grace that finished something in us. Remember what he said on the cross? It is finished. There's a change that happens through faith in Christ that is forever changed. You, you, it's a one-time thing. It's the reality of our condition, our identity as a follower of Jesus now brought into the family of God. But there's also this idea of ongoing change, this grace and peace that abounds more and more and active in your life. It's what Paul would describe in a way where he writes elsewhere. I write to you that, you know, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So there's a sense of it's finished and the change happened, and there's also this reality of this ongoing change that's transpiring around. And so we want to spend some time looking at this idea, kind of we mark out just a few things for us over the next few weeks. Here's what it says. The idea of changed, that we want to be people who are marked in a way that have a changed heart. That's what I want to talk about tonight. That have a changed mind. We'll look at that next week. Changed relationships. That it begins to change and impact our relationships. It begins to change our community around us. And that the influence we're able to have with people. And that that changed our purpose and what we live for, what we aim our life at. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read kind of a section, a chunk of scripture tonight, and we'll kind of dive in 
uh, peel back a few things for it, get a couple applications, and then we'll worship a little bit and we'll have a great time tonight. So would you read with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. If you got a pen, circle, new birth, living hope. Because that's where this idea of heart change begins to come from. We have a living hope. We've been given a new birth through our faith in Christ. He goes, this is living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation um, ready that's to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly re- rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, the challenges that come with life. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a reality and some deep richness here that I don't have time to unpack tonight. I, I want to encourage you to read First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses through like verse 9 or 10 uh, this week. And just kind of let this soak into who you are. That is a follower of Jesus. Now, I know for some of you, you're not a follower of Jesus, and and you're kind of here, someone invited you, and and maybe you're spiritual, and you're kind of searching, and I just want to tell you, I'm really proud of you. I know it takes guts to come to a new place, and I hope, uh, our hope, our prayer is that Elements would be a place where you can investigate on your own pace, and you can kind of search out Jesus and understand him. Maybe by the end of the series, you'd see him in a more beautiful and more majestic way, something that kind of is calling your heart toward him in a a further direction of understanding your spiritual journey. What's fascinating here is who writes this? It's 1 Peter. Take a wild guess. Peter, yeah. You guys are so smart. Um, Peter writes this, right? Peter writes this about 37 years after the resurrection. What's fascinating is Peter. Remember Peter's journey? Peter's a fisherman, a professional. It's what he does. And one day this traveling rabbi shows up and says, hey, I need to talk to this crowd. Will you push out a little bit from the shoreline so I can actually make this more of an amphitheater because that's how I made ears to work. And he knew that because he's the creator of all things. And he pushes out and Peter listens to the sermon and he's like, I'm just a fisherman. I was trying to go home. And something happens in this interaction with Jesus that captivates him to the point that he leaves his profession to say, I've got to follow this man. And for three years, he spends time following around Jesus to the point that he becomes so convinced that you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're who we've been waiting for. Peter comes to that conclusion. Jesus says, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter says, oh no, I'll go to the death for you. The crucifixion happens. Peter denies Jesus, is ashamed, and runs. And then the angel appears and says, you go tell the disciples. I'm going to go on ahead of them. You tell the disciples, and my favorite two words in Scripture, and Peter. You go tell Peter. 
I'll meet him for breakfast. And Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples from Peter, and he says to Peter, you feed my sheep. You're going to be the leader I build the church on. And so this whole progression, here we are 37 years later, has Peter quit? No. In fact, he's speaking with greater conviction than ever before. One of, the, one of the growth parts of being a spiritual mature, mature mother or father in the faith is that your passion doesn't wane. In fact, it just gets richer and deeper and more profound. And the influence you have that God gives you because the intimacy of growing in relationship with Jesus just begins to permeate more and more of who you are. And Peter writes to this church and to these followers saying, look, you have to understand the change that's happened. I know the circumstances are crazy around you, but you've got to understand the change that happened within you because it will help you face the circumstances that are going on around you, the challenges that are in front of you. You have to understand the benefit of this everlasting hope this new birth that you have. You have a new beginning in faith in Jesus. Just as we were once born physically, you've been reborn spiritually. Our sins are forgiven. The past is left behind. You've been given a new birth certificate recorded in the files of heaven. It marks you as a new creation in Jesus. The benefit you also have is this everlasting hope that fuels you. In fact, it becomes the fuel of your very heart and who you are and how you see the world and how you interact with the world. Hope is something our world needs. Hope is something you need. It's something I need, isn't it? And and we can spend a lot of energy trying to manufacture a false hope or our own hope within ourselves, but the reality is what Peter's saying is, no, you have this everlasting hope that pulls you forward, no matter what the circumstances are. It's this hope that begins to change your heart. Your life and your heart condition is forever changed. It's about transformation, because transformation is greater than information. What you have to understand as a follower of Jesus or someone who is investigating Jesus, Jesus is all about change. I'll be just real. I know a lot of Christians in our culture that know a lot of information about Jesus. And they're not nice people. Love does not mark their life. Can we just be real? Jesus is about transformation of your heart and transformation of your character and who you are and who you're becoming. And if you are settling for just knowing a bunch of information about Jesus and about the gospel and about God, the Pharisees knew that. And they missed him. This is about a heart change. This is about information. That's important. We don't neglect that. But transformation is essential. In the pursuit of following Jesus, we want to have him transforming who we are. We have been changed through faith. We are also being changed. 
and our heart is being changed. God's transforming us in a work. We have this everlasting hope that's to exude from us, not something we create, but something we have because we understand the best is truly yet to come. Now, I know that's hard to get your mind around when the circumstances of life are screaming at you and they're calling for your attention and they're trying to drag you down. And I understand that. And that's where Peter is saying, it's this everlasting hope that can be a fuel for you to understand that your savior is bigger than the circumstances that are surrounding you in this moment and the ultimate circumstance that waits for you is heaven and life with God forevermore, fully healed. No more tears, no more crying, no more heartache, no more hurt. And that's the hope that we have. It's also this benefit of a secured inheritance. Um, We understand inheritance from this idea of, okay, one generation passing down to the next generation, this inheritance, and we try to keep it safe. And in fact, we try to live our lives to be safe, don't we? I mean, if we're honest, we, we try to be safe in all of our ways. And so we alarm our homes, we alarm our houses, we alarm our cars, we build safe rooms, we try to live a life of precaution. We try to live with kind of the safety net underneath us, or at least a safe net worth underneath us. And we try to build this idea. We wrap our kids in bubble wrap if it wouldn't suffocate them. Um, We're convinced that um, this idea of safety is something we have to cling to, and our world kind of pushes that. And the truth is, what Peter's writing back then and now, is we can't guarantee that, can we? And how much precaution we take, this isn't, you know, go be cavalier and, and dumb. Be wise. But the reality is you can't guarantee that. In fact, even being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean we cling to safety as the utmost. I think the disciples would speak to us and say, our life of following Jesus wasn't safe, but it was a blast. And he was with us. And when he was with us, everything was gonna be okay. Uh, But safety wasn't the thing. Comfort wasn't the thing that we crave. And I think sometimes we get caught up seeking that above all things. But see, God can keep us safe. That's what he's really speaking about, this inheritance. This safety of this inheritance that's guaranteed in heaven for you. It's kind of like the spiritual Fort Knox. Anyone ever been to Fort Knox before? Um, if you've been there, I have not yet been there, but I'm reading about it. It's just crazy, everything that goes about it. They talk about it being one of the safest places on earth, that this reality of the U.S. reserves of gold have been there since 1937. At last count, I read $261 billion worth of gold. Uh, I bet they have that safe and secure. That seems important. Um, 73,000 tons of gold behind a 22-ton door. I've been to some of your houses. You have big front doors, but it ain't that big, right? 22-ton door. Are you kidding me? Um, The combination to that door is given out to 10 different people. It's split up to 10 different people. They only have a slice of a code. No one has the whole code. And they need all 10 people there to even get access into it. If you were to try to break in and get out of Fort Knox, you would have to get past armed guards, tanks, Apache helicopters, uh, copters, infrared surveillance, video cameras, concrete reinforced granite walls. In World War II, Fort Knox was 
kind of held uh, the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the Gettysburg Address. Like, this is one of the safest places ever. And I think if Peter was standing here, he'd say, God can protect you like that. You don't have to try to create that. God's got enough to protect your inheritance, meaning life with him through faith in Jesus. There's something that awaits you, and that's life with God in eternity. And God's not going to lose you in the midst of that. So you may have some circumstances that are unfolding that you don't like, you can't control, and, and it's opposition. But don't worry, God's got you. Ultimately, he's got you secure and strong that ultimately our lives are safe in his hands, that he's our divine protector. He says four different things here. This inheritance, this life with God, this faith that we have, the salvation of our soul is safe. It, it's safe from perishing. Jesus is imperishable. That's why he got up out of the grave. Your new birth is imperishable. The word of redemption is imperishable. The mercy of God is imperishable. The inheritance that God puts your name on is imperishable. And not only is it imperishable because it won't perish, it never spoils. There's not a shelf life to it. How many of you have opened your fridge? There's things that have a shelf life to it, right? They just go bad. But not your inheritance. Not your inheritance of life with God forever. There's no shelf date on it. In fact, it won't spoil. And it won't even fade, he says. When he's speaking of this, he's using the Greek terms that go back to the Greek games and the Olympic games and the, the crown of leaves that would be placed onto the victor who got this victory in this game. And the reality is this crown was the signal, the, kind of the symbol of their victory. But the reality is two or three days later, it was falling apart. The leaves were bristled and break and, and falling apart and and what Peter is saying is, look, this inheritance of life with God through faith in Jesus, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fade away. It's not at all like that. It helps you. It's with you. And God is keeping it. He's shielding you, Peter writes. It doesn't mean he protects you from every bad thing that happens. Listen, we live in a broken world where bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. That's just the reality of the brokenness of which we in. It's why Jesus came in the first place to set it right one day. But between now and then, he's keeping this inheritance secured for you, safe for you. Your inheritance is kept for you, and you are being kept for your inheritance. That's why you can live with this everlasting hope, that this love and hope and inheritance compels us to trust God, even when it's challenging and even when it's difficult, that through faith we can live forever in the radiant glow of Easter. Jesus wins, and I'm on his team. That's the confidence we can have. The resurrection proves that God's promises are permanent and true, that ultimately we don't have to try to hold on to this inheritance. We don't have to do our best to try to work our way there. God's already made that and given it as a gift to us. That's the hope that we live in. We are forever loved by the creator of the universe. Listen, you need to know this. You are forever loved by the creator of the universe. As one who has said yes to Jesus, you do not ever have to question 
Does God love me? Did I mess up too much here? Because that's an insult almost to God for how much he paid for your salvation, a salvation that he says he's holding secure, an inheritance that's gifted to you, not based on your works, not based on what we try to do or we try to hold on to it. It's holding on to us. And it's his love and his hope. You've been given this eternal hope that is to fuel us moving forward. So now we're freed up as a loved one of God. We are now freed up to love those God loves. As one who lives with his eternal hope, I'm now allowing that to spill over to the people I interact with. God has an immense and unlimited amount of love for you and an immense unlimited amount of hope for you. You're not going to run out. Spend it up. He's got plenty. You're not pulling from a reservoir. You're pulling from the creator of it. And he doesn't run out. What if the church was known for its love? Because it typically isn't, is it? In our cultural context, what if it's meant to be? What if it could be? What if it could begin with you and with me and ourselves to say, I'm going to live as a loved one, one who's incredibly loved by God, and now I can share his hope and love with people. On that card, we wrote down kind of the bottom line for tonight is this, the heart changed by Jesus forever flows with the hope and love of Jesus. A heart that's been changed by Jesus, who's come to say yes to him, who's been saved by him, and now has a secured inheritance and eternal hope poured into your life. That doesn't mean your circumstances all get better. Peter's writing to a group of people who have changed hearts, but their circumstances are not changing. In fact, it's even more challenging. And that's why he's writing to them. You have a changed heart. You have this eternal hope that fuels you. You have this love from God that never runs dry. Remember what Jesus was sharing when he said the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he comes to the week before his crucifixion. He says to his disciples, to his followers then, he, he says, a new command I give you, which just a little side note, who gives commands? God does. He gave the first 10, right? So Jesus is claiming his deity here. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Why? I've loved you, now you're to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What if the church was known for that. Friends, what if our church, we can't fix everything, but what if our church was known for that? What if your life was known for that? Wouldn't that begin to change people around you? If the church could be known for that, a heart changed by Jesus is one who forever flows with the hope and love of Jesus. If that marked people in the church, I'm convinced it would change the world.
And so how do you do that? Every day, one step forward. God, I want to have a heart changed. I want people, when they bump into me, to leave my presence having bumped into your hope and your love. And if we lived like that, it would change things. And so that's not just a statement. That's a challenge. Are you willing? The question tonight is, how's your heart? Has your heart been changed? Are you living convinced and built up with this idea of God's changing my heart and his love and his hope begin to flow more and more out of it? A changed heart forever flows with the hope and love of Jesus. We need to be people like that. We've been changed by Jesus permanently. We're also being changed to have this heart change that says, God, it's your hope and your love. I want it to flow into me and then out through me to impact the people around me. And I want to do that as much on Thursday as I do Sunday. And I want to do that as much in the tension as I do in the joys. And I want to do that as much in my sorrow as when I'm happy. I just want your hope and your love, the best I know how, to flow into me and out through me to impact people. First John 4 says this, we love because he first loved us. When I was a kid, um, we had these things called Pez. You've probably seen them. And you would load up uh, all these candies, right, into the Pez, and then you'd walk around and you'd be like, hey, and you lift up the head, and like a tongue would, but it's a candy, uh, would come out, and people would be like, whoa, candy, that's awesome. And they would take it. A heart that's been changed by Jesus forever flows with the hope and love of Jesus. What if we just became Pez people? What if we were so filled up with the hope and love of Jesus that wherever we went, it's the hope and love of Jesus that just comes out? That doesn't mean you have to know all the answers to every single question, but it does mean that hope and love show up in that, that situation. That doesn't mean you have to solve everything that's there, but it means hope and love of Jesus show up in that circumstance. And if we could do that, if the church became known for that, that would change the world, wouldn't it? It would change your world and change my world. And that's the invitation tonight. So this week, just ruminate on that. Think about that. How's your heart? Where are you at in that? And... and Maybe this verse, John 13, 34 through 35, just stick it up in your mirror. Put it in your car. Uh, don't read it when you're driving because you don't want to be distracted. Um, but, like, practice it. What would it be like to memorize this verse? And it's just, it becomes a go-to verse for you that says, this is the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, I don't care. I think this verse can impact you because I think it will make you a better person. And I think it may help invite you one step closer to investigating who Jesus really is. And so I just want to pray over us that we would do that. We would kind of go into a time of communion here. Uh, we've got tables in the back and tables up front. There's gluten-free crackers up here. We'll give you space just to contemplate, pray 
for a little bit. We'll sing one song and then we're gonna be dismissed out to the after party. So Father, that's what we pray tonight is that we wanna be Pez people. We wanna be people who are filled up with the hope and love of Jesus that Peter's pointing out, this inheritance that we have, this everlasting hope that's changed our hearts. We wanna be people that exude that to those around us. God, that's hard. (laughs) It's not easy. It means choosing your best over how I feel in the moment sometimes. But would you empower us? We, We think back to the crucifixion, the resurrection. Jesus, as you said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. You went to the extreme to prove your love, to show us that we are loved so that now we can be people of love to those around us. So as we take communion, as we sing this song, would you stir our hearts with maybe our next step, our evaluation of how we're doing and our heart condition with you. We want to be known as people of love and who live with a changed heart.